bam, we're live. Oh, that makes me nervous. I'm rarely, rarely the only person uh, in here when I get here. No Caleb, no Sousa, no guest. I wonder what happened. I better, uh, I better resend the links. Hey, uh, those of you who uh, remember the guest we had on, we've had him on twice now, Tyson Bajant. Uh, Division two quarterback went to the senior bowl. I'm sending the link to uh, everyone again. Maybe it was CY trying to figure out where everyone is. Went to the senior bowl. Uh, what the senior bowl is, is it's where all the best college uh, uh, football players go to perform their last game. It's like the pro bowl for college football. And there's three of those Pro Bowls. And the top one, the very top one, where the best college players go is the Senior Bowl. And Tyson was invited there. Very rare that a Division II player uh, would be invited there. Uh, Not only was he invited there, but he was voted by all of the other players as kind of their favorite, favorite player. He was like the cool guy there. So imagine that. Of the 106 guys, 111 guys uh, who went there. and the vast majority of them will end up going to the NFL. Like last year, it was 106 of the 111 were drafted to go to the NFL. Uh oh, I sent them the uh, I sent them the wrong link. I sent them the wrong link. My goodness. Well, that hasn't happened before. I sent the guest the wrong link. My goodness. Anyway, so Tyson goes there. Not only is he voted by all the other players as the cool kid, the kid that everyone likes, but he throws, every quarterback there played only one quarter. He throws 17 completions. Well, Savon, is that a lot? Well, just so you know, second place only threw uh, 11 completions. Pretty crazy. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, mate, how's it going? I sent you to the uh, Paul uh, Dave Castro window. Yeah, I was I was trying my hardest not to be late, and you stitched me up there. <laughs> I set you up for failure, Paul. It's all good, mate. We bounce back. That's what we do. I, I'm wondering. I'm looking over here at the schedule. I wonder if there's other people over there live calling. Oh God, I'm a ding dong. <laughs> well, it says here we're live. We're good. We're up and running. Yeah, you demand, dude. Thanks for doing this. Hey, you know, it's a trip. I, I didn't, until I started researching you, I didn't even know you were a CrossFitter. I was actually, um, I was speaking to my my girlfriend, my fiance now, and I was thinking, I was curious as how how you come across me, whether it was uh, through my old CrossFit days or, or what it was. But yeah, I was curious how you come across, across me in the squash. We had this dude on, uh, Kane. I'm going to screw up his last name. He's the best racquetball player in the world. Okay. Kane, Kane, who's going to get, tell me Kane's, uh, let me see, uh, Wozenchuk, do you know that name? I, I'm not too familiar with racquetball, if I'm being honest with you, so. Yeah, that's uh, an American sport, that, yeah, so. Oh, that is mainly an American sport? Yeah, it's it's probably like, if I if I go to America and I say, um, oh, I play squash, no one, genuinely, no one knows what I'm talking about, and then I go, oh, it's like racquetball, and then they'll be like, oh, racquetball. You know, so it's a bit, that's a bit more of the, the dominating sort of sport there. 
Yeah. Uh, um, same same court though, right? Uh slightly what? different dimensions, but very very similar in terms of um like shape and stuff. But racquetball is a bit bigger. Okay, and and then your in your ball uh, has way less bounce, right? It's more like a handball. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, so the racquetballs are way quicker, way bouncier. Ours is a little bit less, well, quite a lot less sort of bouncy and um, takes a bit more to, to warm it up and stuff like that. And it's a bit bit slower, but that's the court's smaller, so it sort of like works out the same same sort of pace, yeah. It's not a handball though, right? No, 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 a lot smaller. Yeah, a lot smaller. It's probably the size of a golf ball. Have you ever been to prison, Paul? Into prison? Nah, I've yeah, never no, been to no. prison. <laughs> Just, just seeing if you have any handball pedigree. That's like the sport yeah. in prison, right? Handball. I think it was, yeah, it was like made there or something. Or am I talking? I mean, you can't have a racket, right? <laughs> so no, in prison. Exactly. In prison. So, like, <laughs> hey, here's your ball. Figure out a game. Um, uh, so we had this guy, uh, Kane, uh, uh, Was Chuck on. Cool dude, uh, racquetball player. Wow, I didn't realize Kane was forty one. And and we have a lot of you know interesting people parade through here. It, it's it's um I'll interview anyone, and then someone's like, "Hey, dude, you got to see this guy, uh, Paul Cole." Am I did I pronounce your last name right, Cole? Yeah, perfect, mate. Yeah. And so then I started looking at you, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be great if I could get this dude." And then um and then I started watching all these videos on you on YouTube, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this guy's uh, a CrossFitter." I didn't dive too deep, mate. Some of those videos online make me cringe when I watch them back. Oh, they're great. I dove deep. They're great. Hey, man. Um, uh, are, are you still CrossFitting? Um, not as much, no, because um, my CrossFitting days is when I was sort of breaking through on the squash scene. So I was probably – I wasn't – I was playing a lot of tournaments, but I was playing like one or two matches per tournament. So it wasn't too, too draining on the mind or body. But now I'm making sort of – semi-finals finals quite regularly it's my schedule's just too full and so i like you know what crossfit's like if you get if you don't do it for three four weeks and then you come back your body just gets sore and uh, i was just finding it was the load was too much for for doing you know my squash schedule and crossfit so i had to taper it back so i haven't probably done it i, I mean i still do it if i'm in a, in a good training block because I, I still love it but yeah i dropped all my olympic lifting all my gymnastics and um it's more just sort of like yeah, my training between tournaments has calmed down quite a lot because my body just just can't handle both of them. Yeah. Uh, how old are you? I'm 30 now. Yeah. Oh man, you're still young. Um, uh, I, I'm going to be completely frank. Uh, you know, I love CrossFit, but I saw you doing um a snatch a, a snatch with great form. It like I think you were snatching 155, and then you lowered it to a hang snatch, and then did another snatch. And then in that same workout, I saw you doing muscle ups and I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I risk that risk my, put my shoulders in those positions. I know someone's going to yell at me. No, no, it's per, it's great for you. But I'm, I, it would freak me out to have one of the best racket players in the world, uh, be tossing around those kind of weights and in, in that kind of explosive dynamic range. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was sort of the younger self of me just enjoying it too much and probably, I don't know. I, I felt like it was. Um, I mean, you were strong. You're not even a big guy. You're you, you were strong, or you are. Yeah, strong. I'm not 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 as much anymore. I, I used to be quite strong when I was doing CrossFit, but I've I've dropped all that back. But it used to jack up my shoulders too much, especially my right shoulder. So I'd get a lot of like stiffness when I'm trying to swing through here, and that's why I sort of stopped also doing 
all of those overhead lifts and all my sort of muscle ups and stuff like that because um, it used to just jack up my right shoulder like crazy, especially all through here. And it would just tighten up my swing, which obviously when your swings, your whole, whole sport, it's no good. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Olympic lifting, it's very explosive, isn't it? So I was doing it for that. But you, you're probably right, like putting your shoulders in those positions is uh, not not the most ideal thing to do, but it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> And, and and you were looking, you were looking, Jack, too, like those those crazy. You you guys wear those crazy like Tour de France shirts, like that those like pinner guys wear. And you'd have all you'd have titties in there. Like I would see you in <laughs> interviews. I'm like, oh yeah, CrossFitter. Like your yeah. back's all swole. But you got I, you did lose a lot of that muscle because now when I see the more recent uh, um, footage of you, you're looking more svelte again. You're just you're uh, just you're like an ass and glutes and quads now and in calves. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm all lower half now. I'm <laughs> yeah. completely from my chest up. I've just dropped a lot of weight. Yeah, a lot of muscle, um, which which I don't always like, but uh, it's, it's part of the job. I think when I finish squash, I'll get back into some pretty pretty good CrossFit. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the whole training side of it, community side of it. It was um, it was cool, man. Like for me to do training like that, and it was so fun. Like, um, you know, to have a, have fun aspect, and I loved it. So I'll. I'll, I'll be surprised if I didn't go back to it after squash, to be honest. Are you in – you're in Amsterdam right now? Yeah, so I'm based out of Amsterdam. So I um, just got back in from America a couple of days ago, actually. We were playing in New York there, so that was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, just, just flew in two days ago. So back here for a couple of weeks training. Uh, and, and what were you doing over here in, in the United States? Uh, we actually have a pretty cool tournament over there, man. It's um, You should Google it. It's, in, it's called Tournament of Champions. It's in okay. – it's in Grand Central Station, so they wow, um, yeah. So they build. A so they course. build a mock course there, like in this in the. Yeah, so we we're quite lucky. We can we got these courts made out of glass, and we just put them up anywhere we want, basically. So they put one up in the middle of Grand Central Station. So, um, you got like I don't know how many people go through there a day. Five hundred thousand people going through there a day, and just the courts just bang up, sitting in in Vanderbilt Hall there. So. Um, Dude, cool these sport. images are crazy. Yeah. How did I not see this? This is nuts. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got these big chandeliers above us, and um, you got people like walking through the front wall um, like crazy, you know? So it's great for spot, the exposure of squash. It's, it's a real cool atmosphere in that tournament. Yeah. This is the train station in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Bro. There's, um, there's Vanderbilt Hall. So as you go into the main thing, that's literally just off to the right of. Um, Grand Central Station. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Hey, so so it, it says it's sponsored by JP Morgan. So you got some rich dude who loves squash who's like, all right, I'm bringing these guys. This is nothing. I'm bringing this sport to New York. Yeah, 100%. I think this is probably like, this is probably like the best tournament to sponsor for squash because, um, like they, like I said, they have, well, I don't know how many people go through Grand Central a day, but I mean, the foot traffic nuts. is nuts. Nuts. Yeah. So they've got JP Morgan just plastered across the front of that, and you've got all those people. So, I mean, that's like the mo- one of the most iconic sort of squash venues that we play in. So that's pretty that's pretty cool, that, man. It's a real buzzy experience when you're just walking through a train station and you've got train announcements going on and you're just trying to play squash. Oh, it's like that. Yeah. Oh, it's, so it's almost like a video game. You know, like those video games where you drive Formula One through a town? This is you playing squash in a train station. Yeah, basically. We also... We also put them up in the – have you seen the one in front of the pyramids? No. Yeah, oh, this is crazy. I haven't seen any of this. And that's where it's a huge sport, right? Squash is like crazy big in Egypt. 
yeah, they have probably like six, seven out of the top ten. And we yeah, so we, we play there probably five times a year. And they put this one up in the middle of the desert, just in the pyramids are just in the background. And they um so we just play in the middle of the desert, which is pretty pretty wild because you get sand and dust and wind just hooning around on a court, which is not what we normally sort of play on. And do people complain about this, like the train station noises or the dust or no, like everyone knows, Hey man, this is part of the scene. This is what we do. Um, it's tough. Cause I, I was, I was in the final of this one this year and this is nuts right here, by the way, this is crazy. Yeah. So, so basically one of the sort of a part of the court was basically unplayable. So I couldn't really into one corner. I was just slipping every rally. So, um, because of sand, Sand man, it was crazy. Like wind was just blowing up. You mentioned the sands just just like blowing around. So I was like slipping like crazy. My opponent was slipping too, so I couldn't really just say it was just me. But I mean that for the sport is so good. So you you've almost got to just you know suck it up and as long as you, yeah. I mean that 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 comes to a point because you don't want to get injured. But I mean look how cool that is. That's insane, right? So hey, I saw in one of your games there's a guy that comes running out there with a um. Like a, uh, like a, uh, a, it, it, I guess it's not a broom. It looks like he's drying the court. Yeah. So we, we sweat like crazy. It's, um, pretty intense on there. So you have like, you normally have a court cleaner who just comes around and just gets like the droplets of sweat, um, from the court because, yeah, like it's, you'll if you slip. Stay, if you're going hard and you lunge and you slip on that, you're just asking for a hamstring injury. So, um, yeah. We, In we, Egypt, we, they we, could have a dude with the vacuum. Like you could get Dyson, they should have Dyson as a sponsor, and like he just comes out there and like sweeps out the sucks up the dust in the corners. Hundred percent, man. They have it. They have like a in Egypt. They do like a wet mop, so they wet the mop. So they'll in between games they'll go out and just wet the whole court and take up all the dust. And then obviously it's like thirty degrees there, so it dries in like thirty seconds. Um, so that's how they solve that. But I like your thinking. Get Dyson in. Yeah, another sponsor, right? Yeah. Even if it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, Hey, is that a, what's the um the integrity of those portable uh squash courts? Are they good? Or are they just as good as the uh like the permanent ones? Like the, the for some, I mean, I, I'm gonna say something so stupid here, but they're rigid. They're not all flimsy. They do them good. They're tight. They got the same bounce off the walls. You can run into them full speed. All that stuff. Yeah. So these courts here, the glass courts is what we call them. Uh-huh. That's what, like, all of our major events we played on these. So we're actually, as pros, we prefer to play on these because we're used to them. Um, so that that these are, like, the best courts out there, yeah. So they're, they're pretty thick glass. But that's what we, we play on every major. So we, we actually prefer to play on these courts rather than traditional courts. Yeah. Someone just said, uh, let me see this, uh, Seb, uh, Brandon Waddell. Sevon, look up the tourney from 2009 in Chicago. Why, some good stuff there, like a good, um, let's see. Oh, nine. Uh, that's before my time, to be honest. Squash 2009 uh, tournament. What did, did he say in Chicago? Oh, yeah, Chicago. Uh, let's see. Where are they? Oh, just outside. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let me see this. I'll pull this up, too. It, it's just outside in front of, like, the Sears Tower. Is that where it is? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I remember that one. That was before my time, but yeah, we've had a few outdoors. Like we have outdoors in San Francisco as well. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Eh? Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Hey, yeah. is it is it the same court? They just that thing just packs up. It's just really thick pieces of glass, and it just packs up, and they ship that thing around. 
Yeah, we'll have like we have one. There'll be one in America that will be sort of shipped around America, Canada. We have one in Europe. Well, it's probably like four or five in Europe, a couple in New Zealand, Australia. So they have them in like the different continents, just so it's easier for shipping. Um, yeah. Hey, you think you'll um, when you're done um, playing, you'll somehow be involved in like the. Uh... I was going to call it the politics. It probably is politics, but the admin of squash, like you'll somehow get involved in the admin of it. Like the guy who's like in charge of that glass case or the people who make sure the tournaments run correctly or what, what, I don't know what that is. You know what I mean? Like someone yeah. who wears a suit and kind of got like a belly and hands trophies to people. No, I'm, I'm definitely not an admin guy, to be honest. I'll be, no. <laughs> I'll be doing something like maybe if I'm in squash, it'll be like coaching, like high performance coaching or to be honest, like I've, I've always been into. I've always said that I'll, I'll open up a gym when I when I finish. Um, I don't know what what type of gym, CrossFit or something like that. I've always been into that side of sort of coaching and personal training, and um, so I that's what I was going down. But I'm definitely not an admin guy. I'd be, no. uh, yeah, I'm an outdoors guy, physical guy. I like to to be active. So, is is home is New Zealand for you? Yeah, so home's New Zealand, so um, that's where I'm from. That's where I'll always be from. I live in Amsterdam, though, because obviously logistics-wise, going back to New Zealand, it takes two days to go back there, so virtually impossible to to be sort of based out of New Zealand. We have one, we have New Zealand Open, which is one a year, but other than that, it's, it's all this side of the world. So, yeah, logistics-wise for um, sort of jet lag and whatnot, it's, it's impossible to, to be based in New Zealand. So, but yeah, I always call that home. And, and Paul, your girl is uh, she's a squash player too. Yeah, so she's um, she's world number nine. Hey, you so. look pretty buff there. You look pretty buff. Like you don't look like a like a Tour de France guy there. <laughs> no, you're looking good. Uh, look at your yeah, arms. I've, I've actually I've, I've been working on it a bit more. Okay, you knew you were coming on this podcast, so you did some curls. <laughs> yeah, my favorite celebrations, like you know, flexing the guns, and I had to stop that because I was I was too skinny, and you can't really flex the guns when you when you got you know lance armstrong arms so i had to, right uh, i had to get back in the gym just so i can sort of get that celebration going again so this is your so your girl plays yeah she's belgium so we live um that's why we sort of live in amsterdam as well because we're like two hours from from her place so um yeah we just got engaged in uh december back in new zealand so it was pretty cool but yeah she's world, world rank number nine she's in detroit playing at the moment but yeah we travel quite a lot playing together which is cool um, the boys and girls don't 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 go together. Um, for the majors, we do. Yeah, so she was in New York as well, playing in the the uh, the train station there. But like for the there's a smaller event, what we call sort of like silver level tournaments and gold level tournaments. Quite often, you'll just have a women's or just have a men's sort of event. So, but all the majors are equal prize money, which is quite cool for New Zealand. It's equal prize money in the majors and. Yeah, they normally run them together at the same time. I think there's only one major that's that's different. Yeah, are they just as popular the men and women the comp the like the cra- with the crowd? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the women's squash at the moment is pretty cool. I mean, they they've got. I think sometimes people prefer it than the men's squash at the moment because the men's squash is getting a bit um, a bit sort of physical between players. There's a lot of stoppages and stuff, whereas the women tend to sort of just run around each other and it's more free flowing. So. Um, it's getting it's getting quite good, and man, they they play at a high pace these days. Like the women are, they're impressive what they they're getting up to. So um, yeah, it's cool that you know the whole tour is sort of equal prize money. It's something that squash sort of you know tries to promote quite quite highly. 
Um, uh, a couple questions here. Where, what are you ranked number one? Or what are you ranked currently right now? On three currently. Yeah. And, and you've been as high as number one. Yeah. So I was number one, um, sort of last, last year for about four, uh, three and a half, four months. And, and congratulations. You started at 13 years old, right? Yeah. Around there competition wise, probably 13. I was probably playing a bit younger because yeah, my, my parents and stuff were always at the court. So competition wise, I would have started when I was about 13, but yeah, I probably had a record in my hand, a bit younger than that. So, so basically 16 years of play and eventually became the number one player in the world. And I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to say something and then, and then we'll come back to this. Cause I want to go back. I want to hint on something you said, but also you, 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 in some of the videos I saw, you didn't believe you'd ever be the, uh, the number one player in the world. You couldn't, you weren't the kind of guy who envisioned it and then, and then got there. Um, you no. got there with a lot of self doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's sure. awesome. I, I want to come back to that, but let me ask you this real quick. Um, uh, when you just said that the men's um, uh, events are becoming more physical, oh, I really, yeah. I, I like this. I think a little <laughs> bit of pushing would be good for any sport. What's happening? What What do you mean, like dudes like purposely hitting each other with the ball or not moving out of the way? What's going on? It's not so much hitting with the ball, but um, we we it's a big thing in squash at the moment. We don't have professional refs. So all the rest are volu- volunteers. So they're not, Oh, sounds like CrossFit. Yeah. Right. So they're, um, <laughs> they're not, they're not highly paid. So they don't train or, or whatever. So they, they do the best job they can. Like I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm, I never try and give the rest too much shit because, uh, you know, I mean, they do what they get paid to do, you know, and they don't get paid to do anything. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm I never get trying. I never try to give them too much grief, but, uh, like it's not so much hitting with a ball, but, you know, you can in squash, you can hundred percent use your body to get in the way of your opponent, and it's, it's a real hot topic in squash at the moment. And people trying to get, we have these things called lets and strokes. So if if you're in your way of your opponent, and they can't play a ball, they get a stroke, so they get awarded the point, basically. Um, so obviously, if you can get awarded the point, then you know you're going to do quite a lot to to do that. So yeah, I mean, there's. It's a big topic in the men's squash, particularly at the moment, in terms of you know players using their bodies and, and trying to get points and not letting you go to the ball and stuff like that. So it's something squash is trying to clean up, and I think it needs to because it's quite confusing to a, a non-squash person about what, what's happening and what's going on. But there's been some uh, pretty fiery matches over the last 12 months. I, I saw um, a match. I don't remember where it was, but you guys were hitting backhands um, against i don't know if you know if they're called backhands and squash but it looked like you guys were hitting backhands and it was just down the line of the wall yeah and so each person had to hit it and then move out of the way and yeah. it was tight you guys yeah. were basically just going in circles around each other like this yeah. trying to make room for the other guy to get the backhand and it's moving very quickly and i was like oh man that that looks uh and that that looks uh like it's a fight waiting to happen like just yeah. two, you're basically you guys are trying to share the space of a phone booth back and forth hitting against the wall 100 percent, and that's where it gets like we have it like you say down that backhand wall we have a lot of traffic because that's where probably 70 percent of squash is played down there and yeah if someone doesn't want to move around someone then it just becomes uh, it can become a bit of a nightmare on there um which i don't particularly enjoy it's not not how i want to play squash so I think it's, you know, we're, we're trying to get professional rest. And I think that will help for sure. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, it's down to the players, isn't it? To it's how we want to play the game, and I think it's you know, because because using your body's it's it's sort of like an underarm swim in tennis, you know. It's a bit, but you know, you're not really supposed to do it. It's not say that again. It's like what in tennis? Like an under under underarm serve, you know, like it's oh it's, oh yeah. So it's not like you you'll get penalised for it if you do it too too aggressively. You'll get penalised for um for using your body too much. Yeah, if you don't let your opponent go to the ball, you 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 sort of should be awarded the point against you, basically. Uh, the Rally Report podcast, uh, top of the men's game is getting dirty. I, I, I'm going to have to tell you, I like this. I, I, I know it's probably not popular. I like dirty, uh, which Paul's being polite about. Um, he doesn't uh, play. Paul doesn't play dirty, but dealing with it seems like nonsense. Oh, I like it. I, I want to see. It sounds like some something that could go viral on YouTube. So, <laughs> so is it? Is it? Let me ask you this: Is it? Um, a couple questions. Is it new players bringing it into the game? like maybe trying to be a little more innovative or pushing the boundaries of the rules? Um, is it uh, lazy players, like maybe players who are out of shape, who aren't as good, who are uh, invoking this tactic? And um, uh, is it the third question is, is it that they're not moving or that they're purposely moving into the wrong spots to, to, to make it more difficult? I mean, it's tough. It is, you know, it's a, it's like, a does everyone thing. know who the guy is? Who's the guy who's like, yep, that's the guy who, who gets in your way. Um, yeah. I won't ask his name, but is that the, is there a guy everyone knows? Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah there's, okay. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a few guys that are sort of. God, I hope he's an American. God, <laughs> I hope he's an American. No, there's not too many American top male squash players, unfortunately. What's the highest ranked American? Oof, I think around 40, 40, 50 Okay, but there is. There's God, we four, suck. Yeah, there's four, four. Uh, woman in the top twenty for I think four four in the top twenty for um, on the yeah, women's side. So, yeah, oh, so so what is it? So what is it a new? Is it a new? Is it a new guy? Is it is it new players or is it old players? Like I could, I'm picturing in my head, it's either old players who are losing a step, who are invoking that technique, or it's um, new player. You know what I mean by losing a step? Like they're getting a little slow, so they're like, all right, yeah, start, start pushing the boundaries of what's legal. Or, or it's new guys who are like, man, I'm going to add some fucking testosterone to this sport. Um, there's definitely, yeah, it's probably younger guys coming through because there's a bit of a transition from junior squash to, you know, sort of professional squash. So, um, But to be honest, like everyone does it, man. Like it's just how subtle you are with doing it and when you do it, how much you do it, how aggressively you do it. So, I mean, everyone's guilty of it. Um, but there's, there's definitely – there's a, there's a line that pros know that, you know, if you go over that, you're sort of, you're being a bit of a dick about it. But I mean, everyone in squash does it, especially when people get tired, people don't do it on purpose as well. Cause obviously when you get tired, you're not moving as quick. So then there's just going to be interference no matter what, because I mean, it's a, it's an intense sport. We go over a hundred minutes sometimes heart rates at one seventy one eighty. So you're going to get tired and you're going to get slower. And if you just, I mean, there, there's, certain styles of players. I mean, there's some big boys on tour. You've got people like 6'2", you know, going around in a small box like that. So, you know, they've got legs and arms going around. You're trying to run around them at full pace. Um, so, I mean, there's there's like there's accidental contact as well and there's people look for it. I mean, it, to be honest, it comes down to the players, you know, every player. Every every player can do it. Every player can play how they want to play. But um, to me, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fine line in squash and it can, it can turn a match pretty ugly pretty quick.
Really? Like if it, like the two guys just don't like each other in there, it just gets nasty. Yeah. And like if, if, yeah, if, if, if it's a real clash of players, then it can, can become an absolute dogfight and the ref needs to take control of it. And that's where our game falls down is when the refs can't control it because it just, it just spirals out of control and every rally is a stoppage and every rally that's, you know, something like that. So it, it, it comes down to the players and then the referees need to sort it out, but that's where it's sort of falling away at the moment. Um, in, in, um, in college, I played uh, racquetball. You're in the, you're in a court, right? Not, not like, uh, competitively like just we had racquetball courts at the gym and it was something like i did at least once a week with friends and i on and over those four years that i was in college um all all three of my buddies stopped playing with me uh two of them said i was too intense and and they didn't like me in there and and one of them we just um uh in, in racquetball you if the guy standing in front of you and I, I he would be in front of me and i hit him once and then he hit me and then I hit him, and it really hurts to get hit, right? Dude, and, you, you see the bruises from those balls, man? It is savage. Like, is is get, it like that in squash too? If you get hit, it hurts really bad? Oh, yeah, and, and you get these bruises. Like it starts white, then it goes red, and then you get this big black light. Oh, I never had one of those. Mate, Mine just big. stings so bad. Uh, does someone get hit in every game in squash? No, 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 no. No, the pros no, don't hit each other. Holy no. smokes. Yeah. Holy <laughs> smokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that ball's traveling like 150 kilometers. Yeah. So it's funny because it gets these like rings on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it was just, it got too intense with guys. I personally didn't mind it, but these other guys, like one guy said, Hey dude, you never compliment me in the court. I'm not playing with you anymore. I'm like, I never compliment you. I fucking hate you in here. Isn't, isn't racquetball quite a gentleman sport in America? I don't yeah. know. You know what's weird about racket sports, Paul? There, there's a lot of like fat old guys who play racket sports, and like you see them like hobble up to the court, and then they play tennis or racquetball. I haven't seen too much squash, and they move like amazing in there. Yeah. And then the second they walk out, they're like broken again. And I'm like, do you see that in squash too? Sometimes like you go to squash courts and you're like, how is this old guy going to play? And then he gets yeah. in there and he can play. And yeah, then, sure. and then he comes out and he's got his walker again. You're like, what? <laughs> it's racket sports are so weird. And yeah, old people like, can really play them for a long time. If you know what you're doing on there, you can make it look like super smooth. And then if you, if you don't know what you're doing, you look like an absolute clown, but you get some of these old guys that have played for years and they just know. They know how to move. They know where to move, and then yeah, they look like super smooth on there. So it's quite I quite like what like watching those guys because they clearly know what they're doing, and they just look they make the game look super easy. Paul taking the diplomatic way out. Ha ha ha! There's one guy who's kickstarted all this beef and making matches ugly. I, I like him. He's good for the sport. Don't you know, have him sell Snicker bars and cans of Coke, and he'll be the perfect villain. <laughs> I like him already. Oh, don't forget pickleball. I would love to forget pickleball. The fuck out of here. Take take a whole tractor and scoop up all the pickleball courts in America and throw them in the trash. They keep converting all our tennis courts here in the States to pickleball courts. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I've never played it, but I don't quite understand it. To me, it doesn't look, I don't know. It's ping, it's ping pong. It's tennis for old people. It's ping pong. Right. But it's like, it's like dumbed down ping pong. It's like, um, it's a sport for, uh, lazy fat people. (laughs) I fine. I said it there. 
plays I'm sure it. I would like it in college if I was drunk. You know what I mean? It's like it's something you play with a beer in your hand. Yeah, that's that's the vibe I get from it. Yeah, I've never I never played it, so I I couldn't really judge. But dude, if it. you played it, you'd be world class in 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 fucking a month. You <laughs> has anyone suggested you pivot to uh, pickleball? It's getting huge. Not pickleball, but it's only America. Right? Like over here, um, paddles more exploding. Like that is going mental over here. So paddles, like the one, what's it called? Paddle paddle. Uh, no, it's, uh, what's the second word you said? Paddle to Dow? Uh, paddle, P A D E L. Paddle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Paddle ball. That's, yeah. For us, that's the thing you play on the beach where you hit a ball back and forth. Yeah. Oh. This, this is exploding. This is exploding in, uh, yeah, in Europe. Why do all the European people have all the coolest uh, courts? Look at that court. It's cool too. Yeah. I don't want to be promoting this though because this is like the rival to squash, but it's pretty fun. Um and you've played that? No one's yeah, listening. I, Go ahead. I, I Go quite ahead. often, yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, does that throw your timing off playing a, di- a game with a different ball? Um, no, I don't play it that much, but it is weird because the racket's a lot smaller, so I'll like quite often swing and I'll just completely miss the ball because the racket's a good like half a meter or not like, thirty centimeters shorter. So it is quite funny, but I never I never play it enough to throw off my squash timing. No. Uh, there's a top racquetball guy who's also a top pickleball guy, so I think squash would uh, translate well. Um, so so going back um, to being born, you're born in New Zealand, small island uh, uh, where incest is accepted. No, no I'm joking. <laughs> I made that up. Uh, no, that's Iceland. Sorry, I get Iceland and New Zealand mixed up. Caleb, you didn't even laugh, Caleb. You didn't even laugh. That was a great – that was a great – Thank you. Uh, so, so uh, New Zealand, and and you're you're born there and raised there. And and what were your uh, what did your parents do? What was life like there when you're born? I just picture you like being born in like a, a grassy knoll, and your dad took care of like sheep and, and your mom milked cows. Like when I think of New Zealand, like spot on. Um, no, I was I was born in quite a small town called Greymouth. So there's about ten thousand people there. So pretty pretty chilled upbringing to be honest. Lots of outdoor activity. Um, water skiing, played every sport under the sun. Um, yeah, and then I, I sort of moved away from there when I was I went to boarding school. Mum, mum shipped me away, so went to boarding school in, in Christchurch. But yeah, it's uh, grey mouse. So. <laughs> why um why why would your mom send you away to boarding school? Um, just because she thought that I had some talent and in grey mouse. Like I said, there's ten thousand people there, so. I sh- um, the opportunities in a bigger city were more, so I guess I have to thank her. But yeah, she went to boarding school for basically for my my sporting sort of opportunities. That I how old were you when you went to boarding school? Thirteen. Yeah. So did you cry? Away. Yeah, I cried every night for about a year, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah that that would be so hard on me. I wouldn't have liked that at all. I wouldn't have wanted to leave my mom. Yeah. No, that was pretty pretty brutal. That was probably the hardest year of my life to be honest yeah adjusting to that but looking back it was wicked like i'm i'm pleased please you shipped me away so yeah it was uh that was that was good i had lots of opportunities in the biggest city and you sort of grow up quite early don't you, you know so for like if i'm traveling around the world and i've been living out of home since i was 13 you sort of grow up quite quickly you learn a lot so when i started traveling at like 18 19 i was pretty sort of adept to looking after myself so yeah you get a lot of life skills from it i think 
Um, and, and what when you're really so your mom saw some athletic talent in you at th- at you know at twelve that made it so she thought, hey, I should send this kid away so he's opportunity. What was the athletic talent she saw in you? What sport? Um, so when I was, I think when I was thirteen, I, I got selected for um New Zealand hockey for squash for squash. And oh, I, I thought was, not hockey. Oh, I was very good at hockey as well. So I, I okay. played hockey in high school. I played field hockey, not ice hockey, field hockey. Okay, I was trying to show off, and and I and I screwed up. No, it's good. It's, did you research it? Did you? Oh, so, so sorry. So at thirteen, you got chosen for squash. Yeah, for New Zealand, and so I was I was very good at hockey and squash. And when I got selected for New Zealand for squash, that sort of put most of my interest towards that because obviously playing sport for, for a country is, you know, you're not going to turn that down, are you? So that's where I sort of started shifting most of my sort of interest to squash, but I was still playing hockey and, and rugby at the same time until I was about 15, 16. Paul, t- tell me um, the exact story, if you don't mind, like with detail. You're you're playing squash in a court as a 13-year-old boy, and someone walks up and says, hey, you look pretty good at this. Do you want to um, play for the New Zealand team? No, so I I used to play rep, rep squash for West Coast, which is like the district of Greymouth. Um, so then you get selected to go away to like a weekend uh, selection camp. So I went away to the camp, which is my first sort of trip away. Forgot all my rackets going to a squash camp, which wasn't a good start. And then uh, the coach, I was pretty, I wasn't, I wasn't great. Like I was, I was, I was fast. I was fit. I, I tried a hundred percent. And that's why they selected me, but I was probably the worst one in the, in the whole camp. So, yeah, that's sort of like I went away for the weekend. Um, then they selected me for like a, it's called a development squad, which is um, weird sort of pathway to playing for New Zealand. So I wasn't actually selected for New Zealand. It was like a development squad that would put you on the track to playing for New Zealand. Um, but, yeah, that sort of was my first sort of real sort of induction into that I could be good at squash. Yeah. Um, that's like a a night. That's like one a a real nightmare. You know what I mean? Like the the night before a tournament, you have a dream that you go there and like you're on the court with with no pants on, right? I mean, like you forgot your rackets to go yeah, to I've selection camp. I've been on and I forgot my pants as well, but that was playing soccer. But um, yeah, like you really forgot. Really, at a, you showed up without your pants to a soccer event, also. Yeah. Um, played half a game in my undies, yeah, and then Mum went and got me my shorts. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I'm selling myself pretty well here, aren't I? Um, hey, does that haunt you forever? Like that, forgetting your rackets, going to that camp. Like, did that give you like some crazy OCD that you still have today? Like, you put your racket in your bag, and then as you go to the car, you zip your bag open again to look to make sure your racket's in there. Exactly. Honestly, the amount of times if I'm going to a match, the amount of times yeah. I check my rackets in my shoes now, which I guess is a good thing because. It'd be a lot worse now if I forgot my rackets to a match. But um, yeah, I checked them probably four or five times before I actually leave to the court. Yeah, one time I was riding a motorcycle and I was wearing a backpack and I forgot to zip it shut, and it ru- it kind of ruined motorcycle riding for me because every time I would get on my motorcycle, I'd have to like I would literally like stop, pull over at a gas station or something, and check my backpack to make sure it was zip shut. <laughs> and it, it was always was, but just that one time just screws you up. It does, doesn't it? Like, if it's, if it's bad enough, you'll never forget it. It'll, it'll give you bloody nightmares forever. So, so you, so at thirteen, boy, man, in this current climate, man, I, I could never send my thirteen-year-old boy away. 
there's too much weird shit going on in the world. Well, at least in the, I don't know how it is in New Zealand, but the, we got some weirdos here in the United States. You can't leave your kids yeah. alone. To be honest, I, I spent a lot of time in America and it is, yeah, it's completely different to growing up in New Zealand. Yeah. In terms of. You guys, you guys, do you guys keep your bathroom separate or is it like here where the, the dudes are now allowed to go into the girl's bathroom? Um, we have, we have different bathrooms. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Keep that. Try to keep that. <laughs> try, try to keep that. We don't got that here anymore. We don't have that. And, and, and our prisons, they're letting the dudes go into the girls' prisons. I was, geez, that's oof, really. And guess what's happening, right? Yeah, you don't I, even have to say it out loud. That's exactly no, what's happening. I don't, yeah, that oof, interesting logic. That one because they just want to, they want, they don't want to be rude to anyone. <laughs> geez, I mean, it's getting crazy here, buddy. I mean, the logic hey, in that just seems a bit odd to me. But you know what is cool is yesterday they just voted. Uh, they just voted, I, I guess, in the in the House. Our politicians voted, and we are now going to allow people who um, aren't vaccinated into the country. So I think we're like one of the last countries to do that. So now, yeah, I, was gonna uh, say it's, I thought that was already happened, but is that? No, okay. all the other countries have already allowed it to happen. Like I think your country, Australia, UK, Canada, all the other countries, but we were the last one. So now uh, um, Djokovic, the tennis player, can now come here and play oh, in the US Open. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I sort of forgot about all that, to be honest. I obviously got my vaccinations, but it was just so I can travel, basically, make it easier. But By the way, every Republican voted to open um, the country and uh, – Every Democrat except seven um, wanted to keep it closed, even though we know the vaccine doesn't work and it hurts people. So uh, just make a note of that next time you go to your voting <laughs> station, you jackasses. Um, you spent three you spent three years away from your during covid. You weren't you weren't in New Zealand. You got you. Where were you? You got isolated somewhere else three years away yeah. from your family. Three and a half years, yeah, I couldn't go back. So um, I was I was living in Amsterdam. Um, normally, I go back once or twice a year to New Zealand, um, just to obviously see family and you know. And so I couldn't go back for three and a half years. And then a lot a lot went on in that time for me as well. In that three and a half years, obviously getting to number one, winning a few majors and stuff like that. So it was kind of it, w- it was pretty tough for me because obviously you want to go back and celebrate those sort of things with family and friends and that. So. Yeah, obviously I couldn't couldn't go back for three and a half years, so it was tough. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it's hard to be hard to be bitter about it because so much good stuff happened to me in, in that three and a half years. But it definitely wasn't easy. I'm very much a a homeboy and a family boy, so to not be able to do that for for that long was was very tough. But yeah, I'm, I'm you know lucky got my my fiance and, and her family over here, so that made it a little bit easier. But at the same time, it was tough, man. It was it was real tough. I hate the thought of you being told you can't go home. Yeah. And, or if you want to go home, you got to spend two weeks in a hotel. Yeah. All that. I hate all that stuff. Yeah. That was, that was a hard thing. I think that's, you know, a lot of people in New Zealand also were told they can't leave, you know? So it was like people wanting to leave, people wanting to go back. So, I mean, the, the government was under, under complete fire because that lasts for, for way too long in my opinion, but. Good. I hope all those people fucking get shipped to Indonesia. Go run, go rule that country. Um, what do you think about the fact that um, you, you weren't that good at 13, 
Do you think that that's what made you that good? Someone was just proposing uh, that idea to me the other day that the kids who are really good early on don't end up becoming the best in the world, that it's really the people who have to work for it. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you, you obviously get both, you know, like I was, I was very much not, not, I, I, I was a talented kid. Like I wasn't, I'm not saying I was crap, but I didn't specify early into one sport. So like I said, when until I was 16, I was playing squash, rugby, hockey, so I, I sort of learned how to, you know, I was, I was very aware of how to use my body in terms of adapting to all different sports. And I, you obviously get those ones, though, that specify early and then they just become like legends of the sport, you know, sort of like a like a Djokovic or a Tiger Woods or something like that. So you, you do get those guys that just dominate from when they were freaking eight years old, ten years old. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's like I had to work a lot out and I had to – make a lot of sacrifices in terms of moving away from my family and, and trying to work out how to, how to bed things. So I, I feel like I've got a very, very good understanding of how to, how to be a squash player and what, you know, what to do. Like, I think I could, I, I think I could be a good coach because I had to work out how to, how to do it so much. Whereas I think people who are good from when they're young, they don't understand how they're so good. You know, if that makes sense, they don't understand like completely what they're doing. It's just almost second nature to them. But I mean, like I said, I, I played all different sports until I was 16. And when I was 16, that's when I made the first New Zealand team, not the, the training squad, but the actual team. And then we were going away to World Juniors. So I had to train twice a day for that. So I just couldn't couldn't keep my commitments to my other sports and, and teams. So I had to do that. Yeah. I like you with long hair, by the way. The longer your hair, I like you better with long hair. Yeah. Yeah. That was a COVID experiment, that one. Just my opinion. Probably probably doesn't hurt. Hey, you said something so interesting right there. Uh, um, So you had to – I'm not sure what the phrase you used, but you had to work it out. Meaning – and I also heard you say this two years ago in an interview that that freaked me out, that you had a coach – I mean, at 28 years old, at the top of your game, you had a coach during COVID – um, change your technical some of your technical uh, styles uh, with your forehand and uh, the way you moved around the court and I'm thinking to myself and, and then you just referred to that as a young man you're like hey I wasn't a natural squash player I had to learn things like how to move and what to do and but you said it with that fancy accent of yours that that shit that shit kind of freaks me out uh, uh, tampering with um, things like your forehand at 28 years old it's it's mate, I'm still doing it honestly i i don't I don't get off on um, competition with other people you know like if if you say oh this guy wants to beat you up I'm like it doesn't you know that rivalry doesn't really spark me up what what gets me going is like feeling that I'm getting better in myself so you know competing with myself or trying to improve myself so like even even today even when I was number one in the world I was still Oh, man, it's just it's annoying sometimes because I'm just constantly like tampering with my swing. I'm trying new things. I'm I'm doing all this. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. But it's that's what gets me sort of like you know excited about squash and it's sort of like improving myself rather than I, I couldn't give a shit if you know about rivalries and stuff like that. It's it's not what what gets me going. So it's that whole thing. And and when I met this coach, um, I probably wasn't a very good shot player or ball control it was all, all about fitness for me and he he turned that fitness and my speed and that into like a real 
more of an attacking squash player. I still rely on a lot of my fitness and that's my base strength. I'll never go away from that. But, you know, I've got a lot more weapons and a lot more attacks and that's what sort of got me, that's what propelled me up the ranks. So, um, but yeah, like I said, man, I just, I just love that whole aspect about competing with yourself, trying to get better. I think that's why I love CrossFit because you're just constantly trying to beat your own times. You're just going harder. It's all mental. And I, I love that side of it, to be honest. And, and whatever I do, I play a lot of golf and that's, same thing I'm just constantly trying to I'm on YouTube trying to work out how my swing goes and I just get obsessed with that that whole technical and improvement side of it can you give me an example in squash of something that you would would tweak would it be actually like how you hold the racket where you put your pointer finger um where you put your back foot like can you give me any example yeah all of that so we we changed my grip so it went from oh my god I'm I don't approve this is too scary you change your grip at 28 yeah, 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 not massively. Like, I, I moved so my thumb was where's my camera? My thumb was like there, and I just moved it up the shaft, so it's like next to my next to my index finger. So I'm holding it more like a pencil, yeah, than like a, a fully closed grip. So that just sort of loosened off my my grip pressure because I always held held the racket too hard, and that sort of was a way that I couldn't really hold it hard if my my sort of finger my finger and thumb were in like a pencil sort of more grip. So. We changed that. Um, we changed my movement. So, yeah, you can see my like a lot looser at my, my finger up top there. Um, hey, um, and, and I guess if there's any time, a safe time to do it, it was during COVID, right? When competitions, you you got more practice time and less competition? To be honest, that grip change was right before a major. Um, oh, God. With, this is getting my, crazy. I was with my coach for a week, and then I, I went to the British Open, which is one of the biggest tournaments in squash, and I won, won that for the first time. And that with your cool. new grip, with your new yeah. grip, yeah, mate. I can, I can, I'll try something. I think I remember, I'll, I'll put something in into my game without even trying. It doesn't affect me to be honest. Like I remember before the quarterfinal of Chicago, the Windy City Open, it's another major quarterfinal. Randomly, just just changed something on my backhand, and I played my best ever one of my best ever matches, I think. Uh, it was a lot of pressure on it, and I just just felt right, so I changed it and went into it. It's probably not advised, but uh, it's I can't get it out of my head. So once something's in my head, I've got to I've got to try. And if it feels right, I'll just put it into my match straight away. Um, my um, my kids' tennis coach. Um, my kid, my kids, uh, just that's all we do. My kids don't uh, like go to school. All they do is just tennis, skateboarding, jujitsu, piano, math, reading, repeat, just all day. That's all we do. Train CrossFit. Like there's never like a time where they don't go to school. I'm with them all the time. Right. And they, they, they don't have, I I never seen, have seen any like raw talent in the kids. It's just hard work, right? They're little. I'm, I'm, my wife's a Jew and I'm an Armenian. I'm five, five. You know what I mean? I'm just a hairy dude with a big nose, but but they're good at what they do, right? Because they spend an hour doing all of these things every single day and they're little kids and everywhere they go, people are in awe by them. But it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it kind of reminds me of what you said. Like you just put in, you're just putting in the work. You're just putting in the work. Like, you know, you started squash late, but you're just putting in the work. You weren't the best player, maybe even the worst player on the team, right? You were saying as a young kid? Yeah, I've seen you actually. I follow your Instagram actually. I've seen your kids. They're, they're, they're little dudes, man. I love it. They, yeah, they just, yeah. Um, and, and the tennis player told me this, and this is what's interesting about you picking up squash at 13. He said, he has always put in me in my place. I'm like, damn, my kids are the greatest, you know? And uh, the, 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 uh, if there, there's no Indian kids or uh, Asian kids here, my kids are going to dominate. And I, w- I just say that shit to make them uncomfortable, right? 
because race is such a weird topic to talk about. And uh, he goes, listen, you can't know if a kid's good really until they're 13. And I go, why is that? He goes, because at 13, something happens to the mind and most kids, their ego will turn on. And instead of trying to get better, they just want to start winning. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, that's interesting because my kid really doesn't care so much about winning yet. He really just wants to get better. He's really just in all of his sports, except for jujitsu, it kind of sucks to get beat up. But in all the other ones, he just is just working on getting better. And I was like, oh, shit. That, what do you think about that? Do you have thoughts on that about a 13-year-old boy or girl all of a sudden having too much ego to improve? And did you experience any of that? hundred percent. And that's something when I look back on, I actually wish like, I was very good at like trying to improve and, and do that. But I wish I wasn't so focused on results when I was younger because, oh man, when I used to lose a match, I used to be an absolute nightmare for, for mum and dad and whatever. I used to just pack, have fits, you know, sulk, do whatever. And, and I wouldn't, you obviously don't learn when you're, when you're in those sort of states. You're just sort of blocking out basically a trauma that happened to you. So you're not learning from that experience, you know. And I, I sort of wish I, I wasn't like that and I wasn't so result-based result when I was younger. I mean, in saying that, like I, I worked hard and I improved and worked on my fitness, but I do think I would have probably got better if I didn't have that ego and I didn't have that like so result-based mindset and I was more about you know just enjoying it and, and learning and, and just doing it when I was a kid rather than trying to win titles trying to win all this because I mean really I don't even remember the losses now that I used to cry about you know so the, the irrelevance of it now is just like and how much pain it caused me when I was a kid is just it's how, do you, how, how do you think that um, the people around you should have handled that they should have like hit you <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not, stop you know, feeling sorry for yourself or i'm gonna hit you no nah, what what worked is um there's one time i i, I don't know i chucked my racket i was being like a little brat on court but mum videoed it and she showed me the video oh and, oh dude i was so embarrassed i couldn't believe that's what i looked like on court and so it was that whole self self-reflection seeing it from another person's eyes i was like dude i'm not doing that again and that was like a bit of an eye opener how much of a twit i looked like on on court when i was you know throwing my racket and you know crying and stuff like that so that was uh hey that's brilliant yeah like it, it changed me completely i was like i can't believe that's what i look like you know um, i was somewhere with my kids one time and they i can't remember what they were doing and i just turned to them i go hey dude I, I want everyone to think that I'm the greatest parent ever. And when you act like this, no one's going to fucking think that. And then, and then so flash forward a month and I was somewhere with my kids and I yelled at them and my, and I think we were in the car or something and the windows were down and my kid goes, Hey, the people in the car can hear you yelling at me and they're not going to think you're the greatest parent ever. <laughs> <laughs> they flipped the script on me. I was like, Oh shit. But your kids are quite smart by the sound of it as well. I, I, well, the thing is, the, the more crafty you get with them, the more crafty they get yeah, back, right? Yeah. They're Which like, is not a bad life skill to have if you're teaching them that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so, so I, I like that. I, I'm, I'm going to use that, I think. I think that that's really, um, because then the parent doesn't, your parent, your mom did, how did she film it? Did she have it? Uh, did phones have video cameras back then or how did she film it? Do you remember? No, it was more, I think it was more like filmed by, by camera. And she sort of got the the snippet of it or whatever. She she sort of somehow got. I don't know. I don't know because, like you say, there wasn't the phones there as these days. Um, um, did she know what she was doing when she did that to you? 
I think so. I think so. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I just. It's brilliant, that. dude. It's brilliant because then you don't yeah. have to say anything. No, exactly. Like, it's like, I just shut up and that was it. I was like, oh, well, like, so that, that was, that was probably like the most eye-opening way to do it to me because it was just embarrassing. Yeah. And, and I've also heard you say though, that, um, uh, in some tournament you took second place and it was all f- your kindness and happiness for the guy was all fake. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but basically you just wanted to fucking cry. Like you hated it. You absolutely hated it. Yeah. That was, I think that's again when I was a junior, like I used to just, it's the worst feeling, isn't it? When you, when you're second and you got to sort of like smile and do all the polite stuff and, and you just don't want to be there at all. But I have I mean, no idea. I've always been too much of a pussy to compete at anything. So I have no idea what you're talking about. I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean that that's the hardest when you when you gotta smile and do all the interviews afterwards when you just had a loss. I think that's that's some of the hardest stuff in sport, you know, like to be that perfect sort of image after a after a match. That's that's what I find the, the toughest. But I, I guess that's that's part of it, isn't it? It's part of being an athlete, it's part of being a sports person. So um at, at 26 or 27, you're a young, strong, virile man. You have your whole life ahead of you. You've been playing squash for 13 years, and you and you hadn't been ranked number one yet in the world. Were you ever like, like go to bed at night and be like, dude, what am I doing? Like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, th- I'm never going to be number one. These fucking Egyptian guys are so fucking good. They came out of the womb with the fucking racket. I'm screwed. Like, what am I doing? I'm just going to go back to New Zealand get a herd of sheep and just, just chill. Uh, <laughs> dude, um, heaps of times, man. Like honestly, but then and saying that from, from my perspective, like I, I was always told I could be like a top 20 player at best, you know? So when really? I had, someone said that to you at the at top 20 at best, that's that, that's the line. Yeah. They said you got potential to be top 20. I was like, oh, shit. I I mean, that's cool when you're 13. That sucks when you're 13 years, when you're 26, right? (laughs) So I was stoked. And then, you know, you get, oh, yeah, you could got potentially top 10. So, I mean, my whole career, I've sort of like just kept doing better. So for me, it was easy because people thought I was going to be top 20. So when I got top 20 at like, I don't know, 24, 25, 25, I can't remember – but it was like, oh, I've already done it. I've already done what people think, you know. And then I just kept going up in the rankings slowly and people never expected me to be anywhere. So I sort of flew under the radar in terms of like expectation-wise, which is I think is quite good because when I got to one and two, that's when I found out what sort of expectation was, you know, and, and that's the crippling sort of emotion that I, I struggle with the most. Because my whole career I didn't have that, you know. Like I, like I said, like people thought I could be top 20, so – that was like when that came pretty quick, it was like easy, you know? So that was sort of something I had to learn quite a bit, you know, like about uh, being number one. Yeah. So you have this match and you play and you win and that changes the ranking. Where did you jump from? Were you number two and you went to one or were you number three and you went to one? No, I was number two for quite a few months, probably six months, I think. Um, And then, because it was tough because I was, I was I was playing pretty well and I was winning quite a few tournaments, but it was just on the back end of COVID. So all of our ranking points normally fall off after a year, but because of COVID, they froze the rankings basically or they you, your points stayed on for like two years. 
So you, we never really moved anywhere in the rankings. Then all of a sudden it happened quite quickly for me because everyone's points started dropping off. I had quite a few good points going on. Um, so it all happened quite qu- like quicker than I thought. You know, I thought oh, I'd have to keep winning for like another six months, but um, it all happened quite quickly. So it was looking back, it was probably quite good because obviously when you're trying to get to number one, there's a, a load of pressure on it. So for it to happen quite quickly, I didn't really get time to sort of think about it too much, which was actually quite good for me. And I think. And, yeah. and, and you said it was crippling being num- uh, uh, like emotionally crippling being number one. Is that not, not, for you? We're not being number one, man, not being number one. Number one, I was having the best time of my life, man. I okay. Was, I like it. I like it. I was, um, I was meeting Carlos Sainz F1 driver. I was, Oh yeah, I saw that picture. That's crazy. Yeah, friends of all blacks, like all these famous people. Man, I was people were giving me stuff. People were just doing everything. So, oh yeah, nice Caleb, nice Caleb. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that car doesn't even look real. That car doesn't even look real. (laughs) Dude, they're insane. Yeah, so I was having all these cool experiences, man. I was just on, on top of. Yeah, I was on. I was having the best time of my life. But then it was sort of when I went back to when I dropped back to number two. I um. I started feeling quite a bit of pressure because I thought all this stuff was going to like just, you know, I wasn't going to have all these experiences again and I wanted to get back to one. I wanted all that, you know. So when I when I got back to that, when I dropped back to two, sorry, that was when I sort of was struggling a bit in terms of pressure-wise and, you know, probably had – I also, yeah, I, I was getting quite tired mentally. I was um, – if I had a loss, I was having to take like five, six days off because I was – I was sort of struggling with, you know, the mental side of it and getting tired and stuff. So um, it was quite a quite a sort of learning experience. It was a tough six months back into last year. I also hadn't had an off-season for like two years, so I was, I was mentally and physically getting pretty tired. I was getting all these niggles and stuff, and it was just a hard, hard period um, for me personally, to be honest, yeah. Um. Two questions. What was the twenty one and twenty two season compacted? I've heard you say that in some other interviews. Because of COVID, was it um, or, or COVID response? Were those two seasons pushed up against each other, and that's why you had to play so much? Yeah. So, well, it was like because people couldn't have tournaments for like a year, of course. Like you know, due to like you know people not being able to go into countries and all that sort of crap. But and then it, all of a sudden, everyone could have a tournament. So everyone wanted to have their tournament. So we were just playing like throughout off season. We played July. We had World Champs, which is normally our off season. August we had British Open, which is normally in May. So you sort of played right through, and then all of a sudden we're playing for like eighteen months nonstop, and it's just like becoming like it was. Everyone was sort of getting you know niggles and getting tired, and it was tough. But like we obviously didn't play for a good eight, 10 months on a regular tour, probably 12 months until we had like a, a regular tour. So that, that sort of period was tough. And then um, I was supposed to have an off season this year, but I had Commonwealth games. Our, our off season is normally July, August. So I had Commonwealth games, which is, you know, that's like the smaller version of the Olympics basically, but it's quite important for New Zealand. So we had that, which is two weeks, best two weeks. How often are the Commonwealth games every couple of years? Every four years. So okay. they are, uh, two years after the Olympics, so they go in like a, a cycle like that. So that was like best two weeks of my life, but that drained you massively. So in my off-season, I'm supposed to get in free. Did you win that? Did you win the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, I won two goals there, so that was like – Awesome, that, congrats. That cool, thanks, man. But um, like that was like an insane two weeks. And then like that, that I can't even describe how much that takes out of you in terms of your men- mentally and, you know, physically. And 
so that was sort of my off season where I was supposed to get fresh and I got bloody I did the opposite basically. But I mean I wouldn't change it for the world because yeah, winning two golds is like life changing, you know. So um What are you gonna do about that mental piece? What have you done? Do you get a, a mental coach? Do you read a book? Yeah, um, I got do all that. Start smoking you know, weed. <laughs> I'm in the right country for that, but don't do that. That'll fu- that that won't help anything. No, I went back to um I actually for the fir- not for the first time, but I went back to New Zealand for four weeks over Christmas, um, and so I had a I had a break where there was no media. I went to my lake house where there's no cell phone reception, and I just trained and just hung out with my friends and family. And it probably wasn't the best time if I'm bit like if I'm being honest because it's not like a full time to have a break and get a training. But like starting this season, like in New York, mentally I'm twenty times better just from having that break back home with no media like because i've been back three times but it's just been full on with media and it's not relaxing but i just had four weeks i said you know stuff it i'm going home see my family see my friends and just chill out drink some beers and have a good time i still trained but i didn't play a match for like four or five weeks and that sort of brought my hunger back to play which was a a good thing so i sort of probably came into new york a little bit underprepared physically because I had that break, but mentally I'm, I'm back to where I need to be, which to me was more important at this time. Um, when you say media, what do you mean? Just like having to do interviews, podcasts, just all this kind of stuff? Yeah, well, because I, I came, I became number one and I won one, you know, so like there was a lot of, which is cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved it. Like going home and celebrating, becoming world number one, but because I didn't go home for like three and a half years, I sort of had a lot of that sort of stuff to catch up on. Squash was booming in New Zealand. I hadn't been back. And because I was number one, you know, uh, there's a lot of media, which was cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not, not that is cool back. that squash is booming in New Zealand. That's awesome. And you probably helped that with your number one ranking. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I hope, hope so that it, it sort of, you know, sparks some sort of young, young guys to come through. But it's cool. It was cool to go back and experience it, but it was full on. It's probably the most media I've ever had in my life. So that, again, was quite change likely you know i had to get used to that and work out how to deal with that as well um but again it was cool man like i said i was mixing with some pretty cool people so i was, I was, I was loving it um i don't remember i don't even know if what i'm about to say is true but i th- but i think it is um maybe caleb will find the quote somewhere but someone was asking serena williams if she could beat a certain male tennis player and she said hey the men are the men are so good at tennis that it's not even, we're not even really playing the same sport. Like, and and this is arguably, some people will say she's the greatest athlete who ever lived, that she's like better than Michael Jordan, that she's better than Mike Tyson, that she's like the, sorry for being so American centric. I I just not, uh, those are the only people I know, but that, that basically she's the greatest sports player ever, that she's just been so dominant. And yet she's saying that like, Hey, it's still, we're not even close to the men, the best men. It's just different. I have nothing for them. Is, do you, do you, does any of that resonate with you? Um, is is it like that squash? Are we just Um, different creatures? It's, it's just physical. It's it's like squash is a very fast physical sport (laughs) and it just becomes, yeah, the the pace is just too high. When, if you go man versus woman, like uh, women, they're very skillful. They got all the shots. But if they don't have the time to play them, because you know there's just a, I mean there's just that physical difference, isn't there, between a, a man? So and a so woman. kind of like the fastest woman in the United States is still slower than in the 400 meter run or something is still slower than the 400 fastest high school boys. 
So, so yeah. you think it's a, you think it's a speed? Technically, they're just as good. They could coach just as good. They could do all the like if it were a slower game, and they could just do all the trick shots. Like if you took the best woman in the world and you took you, Paul Cole, and said, "Hey, hit this squash ball through that um, little circle over there." They could do that. But you're saying it's like the, the the actual getting the body there at the right time. Yeah, I mean, like so, me for example, me and me and my fiance will play a double bounce match where. So you, normally in squash you're allowed one bounce and that that's it. Whereas we'll play a match where she'll get two bounces, um, so she basically has more time to get to the balls and stuff. And then it's um, it's pretty hard for me, like in terms of you know she's got all the shots, she can do everything, and th- then the pace becomes irrelevant really because she's got two bounces to get to the ball, and then you know she's got all the shots and can play just as. So then it becomes you know way more close in terms of. Uh, you know, I mean, it's right. a lose lose for me, but yeah. Have you ever seen those guys play um, tennis in wheelchairs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude, shit I, is crazy. I think they get two bounces, but that shit is crazy, dude. I don't know how they do it. Eh? Like it's uh, it's, it's crazy watching that. I think it's the best wheelchair sport. I've watched the other ones, like basketball and some of those other ones, and they don't do much for me. But the tennis is nuts. Yeah, yeah. I've watched a bit of like wheelchair rugby, which is just. Oh. <laughs> it's just like a derby they just like go into each other like crazy it looks painful to be honest but yeah hey this guy talks like um one of you i wonder if this is uh english americans don't say cool shit like this leah thomas that that's a, a guy who competes against oh men in the united states can compete against women's sports too like we can use their bathrooms and compete against them in sports now <laughs> Um, Leah Thomas, a man who tucks his anchor into his swimsuit. God, that's such a European thing to say. That I, I'm going to start using that word anchor. You guys say cool shit, but Leah, I wonder if Steve Flores. I never thought of you. I thought you were just some Mexican out of L.A., dude. I didn't know you were. Are you European? Leah Thomas, a man who tucks his anchor into his swimsuit and ranked outside the top 300 in men's swim can beat the nation's top female swimmers. Anchor. God, uh, Steve, are you foreigner? It's such a great word. It's it's classy, right? Instead of saying like penis or cock and balls or dick, it says anchor. Yeah, I That's how you been, guys talk. It's all gentlemanly. Yeah, I would have went for like a rudder, you know, if he put his rudder away. Yeah. <laughs> a rudder, a rudder is good. I'm Mexican from Fresno. Oh my god! Well, you're the you're classy, dude. Anchor. I knew you. I figured. I figured you were Mexican from L.A. God, born and raised in Fresno. Okay. Oh, here. Uh oh. Seven seconds. Don't fuck us, Caleb. Seven seconds, so we don't get the YouTube guy to. <laughs> to gods on us i'm like if i were to play andy murray i would lose 6060 in five to six minutes maybe 10 minutes okay thank you wow caleb that was that's impressive god her body's insane she's strong eh? yeah her body's crazy what a specimen I'm looking at my notes. I'm sorry. There's a lot of awkward. There could be awkward silences on this show. It's fine. It's my show. I think. I think I was my favorite episode of you. I think you're with talking with. I can't remember who it was, but you're talking about dropping a deuce for about 15 minutes. I thought, <laughs> well, get me on this podcast. <laughs> hey, that's important though, right? Um, uh, do you have a deuce ritual? Speaking of deuces, uh, um. Not a ritual. I mean, on on match day when the nerves are flowing, the the pre workouts flowing, it's just like a it's like a tap, mate. Can't turn it off. It's just uh, okay. Is that yeah. bad or is that good? It's not great. No, especially like if I go to Egypt sometimes and you get a bit of the the runs, um, and then you load caffeine and nerves of that. You just you're losing 
you're losing fuel, aren't you? You just um, you just don't want it on your mind. It doesn't matter, right? Like you don't want to be out there and be like, either I have a deuce in me, or oh shit, a deuce could fall out. Yeah, I mean the the stress of that. You just don't need that, do you? Like, can you hey, wear white? You- can you not wear white? It's like. If you're a real professional, though, you don't even care if a deuce dropped out. Like it's, it's. I mean, right? I mean, it's like it's a point at any cost, right? I mean, like, so what? You take you yeah, shut I mean, your I'm, pants out there. Who the guy comes out with the broom, sweeps it up, and you're, and you're <laughs> you know what I mean, and you move on. Like, who cares? Yeah, I, mean, I scored the point. What? You'd be viral, wouldn't you? You'd be famous. So, I mean, there's there's ways of being famous, isn't there? So. Yeah. I mean, if I was wearing whites, I'd probably prefer not to be wearing whites, if I'm being honest. If I, if I got to choose, I would not choose to wear whites on that day. Yes. Just yes. That, they'd yeah. probably let you change. I remember one time um, at the World Champs and Semifinals, one of the guys needed – he's like – he was begging the umpire to – he needs to go do a piss, and he wouldn't let him. Um, so I'm not sure they would let you. I think if you had one in your pants, maybe, yeah, because the smell would just be getting – Wait. The guy on the court told the umpire, I have to pee. Yeah, he's like, I have to use the bathroom. And this is like mid-game, mid, mid game, you know, right? So he's like, no, you have to wait till at the end. If we get two minutes, two minutes between sets. So he's like, no, nah, no, nah, you can't go. You have to use uh, you have to use the two minutes in between. So Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, in tennis, you know, that's, that's a problem in tennis. The guys will take bathroom breaks and not come back. Yeah, but they play for something like stupid, like five hours, don't they? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, Steve Flores back in the chat. Uh, seven. I heard a guy who does Ironman triathlon shits himself mid ride, 112 miles, nothing new. Yeah, I know. I, I, um, uh, at the CrossFit games this year, uh, I think Nick Matthews, uh, dropped a deuce in his pants. He said he dropped a little no. nugget in there. Yeah. Yeah. When he's doing the sandbag. <laughs> yeah. Those boys are pushing their bodies like crazy on the. Yeah. If you can pick a 250 pound bag off the ground in front of a crowd of people and throw it on your shoulder, a little deuce in the pants is fine. Yeah, exactly. Just a little small. Um, why, why are, Oh, uh, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, what about, um, to, do you use toe spacers? No, I don't no. Cause no. I've always, I've sort of been toying with those like, and, and like the whole, but then obviously if I, if I go to, to widen my feet, then when I'm jamming them into a squash shoe, they're just going to be super uncomfortable, you know? So I've spoke to my trainer about it. And he sort of advised me against it because, I mean, I, I play in squash shoes. I can't not play in squash shoes. And if my feet are too wide all of a sudden, and then I'm sort of jamming them into a squash shoe. It's just going to be uncomfortable. So, uh, well, um, What is a squash shoe? So you know, I love a really wide shoe, but I'm not an athlete. You want to sh- – but my foot moves around in my shoe. You don't want that. You want immediate response from your shoe, so your shoe has to be tight. Yeah, so I just started using Adidas, and they are genuinely a wider shoe. Um, for which is good because you want to be quite stable on the squash court, obviously. But I had to go down half a size because I, I I just can't stand any sort of movement forward or back or left right. If I have any bit of movement, it's just I can't because we're going quite quick and we have to stop all of a sudden. And if you've got like a slight bit of um, movement in the in the shoe, then you're yeah yeah. Hey, so know. so when you're done playing the game. Are you just like so? Um, is that one of the first thing you do is take your shoes off? Oh, those green ones are nice. Yeah, those old school ones. Those. Yeah, those are dope. Yeah. Uh, so, do you take your shoes off the second you're done? Yeah, it's like one of the best feelings. Yeah, because your feet just get, especially if we're playing like outdoors in Egypt where it's like thirty degrees. Yeah, the, the floor's heating up all day as well, so your feet just become 
like so hot and, and like I like if you have, have a hard match, you know when you go in like the spa and you come out and your feet are like your skin's like looks like it's like old because you've been in there. Yeah, so pruny. We call it pruny. Yeah, yeah. So like oh, I have some matches where I sweat that much in my shoes that my feet end up all pruny and it's disgusting. Yeah. Um. Uh. So you can't get this man some nano twos. He. I. I never thought you can't because the split second that your foot would move in a shoe could be the difference between getting to the shot in time. It's more about like the stability. So if you're flying in there and yeah. you're, you're actually doing the splits and you've got to stop. And if you move like in a centimeter, whatever, if you move, then you just, your whole body tenses up. You're not like, there's no way that you're, yeah. So if you move like a fraction like that, you're just cooked, you know, like your whole that's body. That's not you, is it? That's not you, is it? Yeah. That's me about six, seven years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. Are like when you look at that, you're are you like, I'm not even that flexible. I don't even know how I did that. Dude, I, I can't if I, if you want me to do that now, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> that's I game time shit. That. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's adrenaline. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um Magnus Holmgren, uh, will Team New Zealand beat the USA again uh in America's Cup, according to Paul? Yeah, I think we will. Yeah. We've always got it in us. We've always got it in us. We've got that small country in us. Is, are like, the Americans just not that good too? No, I mean that sports. That sports like so technical, isn't it? There's so much. Oh, money. that's the boat sport. Yeah, America's oh, got the, you know oh. the big yachts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Who gives a shit about that? That's way. <laughs> that's out of our pay grade, Magnus. <laughs> we don't. We don't. Know. I don't understand that. It. It's like one of those sports that's like built on money, isn't it? How- built on technology. Um, do you, so going back to that self-belief thing, do you, did you ever trip that? Like when you think of other people, uh, I mean, you were the number one player just a little while ago. You're the number three in the world right now. Um, do you trip on, on yourself? Like on, on your confidence? Tell me about not believing in yourself. Or is that not even the right phrase? Don't let me put words in your mouth. I apologize. I, I would. No, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, it's like. I just saw you in that interview where you were just you just couldn't like you just didn't believe it. I definitely like if I it. if I go on a squash court, I believe I can beat anyone. Like right. it's not you know, I've I've put in so much work that I know I can beat anyone. It's but if you asked me when I was twenty two if I thought I could be number one in the world, the answer was gonna be no. Like I wasn't even number one in New Zealand, you know. So like to comprehend being number one in the world eight years later or ten years later, like it was tough, you know, because I, I I was never number. I was playing World Juniors. I was top sixty four, you know, the World Junior Champs, you know. So, and the guy who I can compete with for number one, he was number one in the world, you know. So, like, if you, when I say that, I mean like my whole career, like I was never, I was never tipped to be that. And I personally didn't think I could probably get to number one. But if you ask me now, if I go on court, you know, I, I believe I can beat anyone. There's no. I mean, in the in the past, coming is through, it even more than believe? Like when you go out there, are you just planning on beating people? Like even the if you went on the court with the number one guy in the world, is it like, yep, I'm gonna beat him? Yeah, well, I mean, I've got to, uh, like, I've got, I've done everything to to know how to beat him, and then it just comes down to execution. I've got a game plan. I have probably got a game plan for every player inside the top twenty that I'd play. You know, so I, I know exactly how to beat everyone, and it just comes down to execution on the day. So. You know, I, I don't leave a stone that's not unturned in terms of my preparation. I feel I feel like I'm prepared for every 
every tournament, you know, the best of my ability and um, game plan for everyone. My coach is very good at game plans. So I feel like we, we tactically know exactly what we want to do and that's that's what gives you confidence if you know that you've done everything you can to to beat someone. That gives you a lot of confidence in itself, I think. Um, what's a what's a um what's a good age for a um what what age do you retire? I'd say thirty five. People people players have played to like thirty eight, but they really start to thirty five. You start to go downhill in terms of your physicality, and like squash is a very physical sport. But there's there's players playing at thirty five, thirty six now, and they're still quick and still have that explosiveness on court and that endurance. But you genuinely see sort of people from 35, they get a little few more injuries, their speed starts to drop, their endurance starts to drop. And they, they can be they can be elite for one tournament and then another tournament they can, you know, they'll have a niggle, they'll have more niggles, they'll wake up feeling tired, their bodies will not be good. And that's where you sort of start to see that consistency not be, be as much. Um, but I think today, like with sports science and stuff, you can – you can a lot, you know, sort of extend that as much as possible. Um, do, do you remember there being a shift in your mindset at like any specific day or moment where you're like, holy shit, I can really beat anyone. I'm really like at the top of the game. Like uh, Paul on all cylinders is the guy. I think it, yeah, it probably started when I was working with my new coach, like I was saying. And when I really started understanding the game, and I understand, sort of started seeing the game very differently in terms of what my opponent does and where can where I can expose them, and then also having the ability to expose them, like you know having every shot in the book. And okay, if I need to play to some guy's forehand, I'm very confident that my forehand's just as good as my backhand. Um, so I think when I sort of started getting that ability all over the court, that combined with my sort of fitness and movement, I could I could execute game plans to anyone basically whereas before starting working with my coach my forehand wasn't very good so if I had to try and expose someone's forehand my forehand wasn't good either so I'm just sort of stitching myself up whereas now I feel very confident down the forehand side so if someone's got a weaker forehand I don't mind shifting to that side or playing down the backhand you know so I I feel like my skills now are a lot more I can execute more different game plans um which gives me, yeah, that's where, that's sort of, I think when I started believing, okay, I can actually beat this guy now because I can expose his forehand. I'm not doing myself any damage, basically. Um, when you say you started thinking about it differently or started adding pieces to it, is there any example you could give us? I, I know that there's so much stuff that we don't understand about sports that that people understand that the athletes understand that they're that they're not talking about like even things that maybe even abstractions you know like there was that um, there was this, some book I read and they talked about Wayne Gretzky and the reason why no one understood what he was doing is because he was starting to recognize patterns so he would see something happening and he would then know where the puck's going to be in like 32 seconds so he would go over there and maybe he didn't even know he was doing that. Yeah, and I think it there is there's definitely like patterns in squash that you wouldn't even notice if you're not sort of understanding that, you know, like the percentage. So my, my coach is quite interesting. He's a professional gambler. Oh so yeah, he, I like this. I like this. Yeah, so he works in percentages a lot. So he will he sort of analyzes a game of squash like he's he's betting on it almost. So he would never 
he would never take a bet. Even if he thought the team was going to win, he would never bet if he didn't think it was in his favour, you know. So he sort of, the way he analyses squashes, he goes down to percentages and, you know, if you put a ball here, there's a certain higher percentage that he's going to play that to this area of the court. So you sort of can go down that track quite deeply. Um, obviously, squash happens very quickly, so you need that to be second nature. Um, but, you know, like if you're playing a, a both and, you know, maybe 70% of the time they're going to cross quarter, so you can sort of push over that way a bit more. Or if, if you play sort of a kill, again, they're going to not really straighten it that much because it's more risky for them. So, that again, they're going to shift that cross court somehow. So you can sort of go to that side of the court a little bit more. Um, if the ball's tighter, they're going to struggle to cross court that. So you can sort of push on, you know, on that side of the court a bit more. So, I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole of that. It's just like endless in terms of. And did you see documents like that with all those numbers written out? Like, does he say, hey, if someone hits a forehand from here, 72% of the time they're going to hit it over there. So interestingly, we did get like a couple of the top guys analyzed and you can sort of see areas what they played shots. It's definitely patterns. You know, if you got every player analyzed, there would definitely be patterns in terms of um, where they hit the ball the most from that specific. So we actually created a game plan on one of the top players um, after we had him analyzed <laughs> and we've seen where all the winners came from from his opponent where, from where he was. So we started putting him in that area and then we started hitting winners. And, you know, I, I, I think I, I hadn't beaten him like 14 times in a row. And then all of a sudden I started beating him, you know, and it was like, so there is definitely um, patterns in squash that you can work out and that's where you can create some damage. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so amazing how deep you can get with this stuff for the people who are the best. I, um, another thing I heard my tennis coach or not my tennis coach, my kid's tennis coach, tell him, he told my kid this when my kid was six and I just remember hearing it. He said, the best players in the world in tennis only win 55% of their points. Yeah. Yeah, me, me, meaning that that they barely win. It's just it's just a game of of uh, and, and so those margins are like you have to know sometimes. Like uh, I, one of these really simple examples, you probably know this one from your sport too. Is hey, this person, fifty three percent of the the um um uh, I don't know what you call them rallies that go beyond six shots, they lose. So if you yeah. have more endurance than that person, just go beyond six, and all of a sudden the odds are in your favor. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that, that comes down a lot to me because like my fitness is my strength. So yeah. you know, I try and I try and like make the rallies longer. And if I get stuck into a lot of short rallies, then it generally doesn't go in my favor. So um, that's where, you know, that's where a lot of that sort of stats comes in. And I think it's in every sport, isn't it? Like, you know, everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses and it's about how you, how you sort of expose those um, to try and win the match. But it's pretty interesting. Like I never used to be that sort of player in terms of analyzing it that much. And when I learned how to do it, it's like there's some serious benefits to it. And if you're a you're serious about, benefits to it, yeah. man, I think it's where all the best players are now. I think you have to. Well, you're searching for those small percentages, aren't you? When you're at the top, you know, you're sort of trying to find, you know, 1% here, 1% there. And that's one of the easiest ways to do it, I think, because you just sort of, you just, it's, it's already there. It's not like something that you need to learn how to do. You just sort of need the information basically. So I've heard people say that these racket sports, tennis, squash, uh, racquetball, are the hardest mental sports in the world and that people don't realize it. And these are the two reasons I heard. One, 
and, and, and you know, of course, there's. I know some people are like, "Fuck that!" How about boxing? I think. Yeah, okay, fine, you win. Um, but basically, the two things with tennis is you're out there all by yourself. There's no or or or, or uh, squash. You're out there by yourself, and then the second thing to get your head wrapped around is if you're out there, you can still win. Meaning, there's no time domain. You're down. What do you guys play to? Eleven or fourteen or fifteen? What do you play to? Oh, we play to eleven, best of five sets, and each sets to eleven points. Right. So if it's if it's do you guys have a if it's seven zero is the game over? Is there a kill like that? Um, no, but I mean it's very hard to come back from seven love. But yeah, right. But but basically the mental piece is if you're down 10, 10 love and you're out there, you can still win. That you that and and that's what makes it mentally just a fucking nightmare for guys. You're alone, and if you're out there, you have to always know, hey, I can win. I'm still out here. Yeah, that that's that's definitely I think we where you get it from. Like if you're out there and people people don't understand and they say, Oh, why didn't you do this? And it's like, well, my mind was just going at a million miles an hour, everything was just unraveling super fast. And some things that sound easiest when you're in that sort of zone is just like the hardest thing. So I think I mean people say that, you know, that Squash is like eighty percent, ninety percent mental. Like that's at the top. That's it's it's all mental. It's all working out how how to stay calm, how to you know deal with being tired, making the right decisions. Still, so I mean, a lot of my training these days goes into you know like trying you know trying different stuff, trying trying to work on my mind. So when I'm under pressure, that I'm still thinking clearly, and I do a lot of stuff to try and you know. I do a lot of stuff that scares me now. So, you know, when I go play squash, okay, it's actually not that scary. It's, it's just a game of squash, you know. So I, that's sort of where I've been going down the, the in terms of my mental training is to try and do a lot of that sort of stuff. Just to, So when I get into squash, it, it doesn't scare me. It's just a, a game of squash. Yeah, I don't think people like me can even comprehend because I, because I don't have any competitive really experience. But just now when you said it, the thought of being out there playing squash in front of people, and my if my brain were to start up, that sounds terrifying. And are, yeah. are you ever like, what the fuck? Do you ever like talk to yourself out there? You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Shut up! I'm about to play squash. I'll talk to you later. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, it's more trying to stay stay in the present. You know, trying to like I, I'll probably between every every rally, I'll say sort of stuff to myself. It might be different, but it's something that just sort of keeps me thinking you know, about squash rather than about what, what is going on, what's on the line for squash. Because over the last 12 months, I've, I've had so much go on the line in terms of rankings and stuff. So it's been quite hard to block out that external noise and just focus on the game. So I'll sort of say, between every rally, I'll say something that'll just focus me in on, on where we are and what exact point we're on. But it becomes a, a real mental test when you're sort of competing you know, you got, and it all happens very quickly. Like squash, can you can lose points very quickly, and if you're mentally not there, you can lose a game, and all of a sudden, everything's just running away from you, and you by yourself, and somehow you've got to like get it all back together under like the biggest pressure you've, you've ever faced. So, it's a cool test, though. It's I, I love the whole mental side of it. Um, when is your next big match? Um, so we go to Egypt on March the second. So. Um, Obviously, that's the lion's den for us. We go to Egypt and compete against all those guys that they dominate in squash. Squash is massive in Egypt, so it's cool to go to, but it's it's tough. But um, 
it's it's cool to go to because everyone knows squash and you're quite famous and you get a lot of attention and stuff. So it's it's pretty cool, but it's it's tough to compete there. And and where do we watch it? Is it live on YouTube or? Um, so sometimes Facebook has um, the odd live match, but they have a a website called Squash TV. Um, so it's just just where you, you sort of sign up, and I can't remember how much it is. Um, but yeah, they stream everything through there. All the majors they stream through there. What's the biggest squash YouTube station? Is there like squash pundits? You know how like I don't know if you know, but like sometimes I'll have guys on this show and we'll just like talk shit about CrossFit. Not sometimes, often. Like the opens coming, and I'll and I'll parade a bunch of guys through here and we'll talk shit about the workouts. We'll talk shit about the athletes. We'll talk shit about the refs. Is you know what I mean? And, and, and people love that shit. Is there, and there's people who do that for golf who are killing it. Um, does squash have those guys? Because if um, not, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll, I'll much, like try to much. find some squash guys who are experts yeah. and we just rip on you guys. Go for it, man. Yeah, and it's not 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 at all <laughs> not, not at all compared to um like obviously I follow CrossFit and golf quite a lot and they have a huge YouTube base. But I mean, there's there's a couple out there in, in squash, but I wouldn't say there's um major channels or or major channels that get traction like you know yourself or some of the CrossFit ones. Um, I think squash is just not big enough at the moment. There's just not that that audience of people with that are wanting to do it but um i don't know it's something that i think that's that's the way to grow squash as well is to get those those sort of fans you know talking about it a bit more and for uh, sure yeah uh hey great to meet you paul are, are you are you on we don't we've been communicating through text is that bad does that fuck you up does that like every time i send you a text does that cost you a dollar or something no no because i message oh okay good All yeah right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I can spare a dollar for you anyway, mate. Okay, thank you. Well, some I'm one of those weird people who like every time I send a text, I send like ten. Like I write a sentence, then send. Write a sentence, send. <laughs> I'm not, I, you know what I mean. Uh, I always send like like lots of yeah. texts, and I always wondered, man, should I not be doing this to the foreigners? No, we're on iMessage, so it's all good, mate. All right. Yeah. Hey, uh, great to meet you. Um, um, what what's the name of the tournament? March second, Egypt. What's it called? Uh it's called the Black Ball Open. So. Yeah, it starts. Um, we start March second. Tournament starts. Yep, that's it. Okay, Black I'm gonna put a note here on my calendar. Uh, you the man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad I got to meet you. No, it's um, my pleasure, man. Honestly, it was uh, it's cool for me. I, I got pretty excited when you I seen your message. I was trying to act cool, but um, no, it's a, it's cool for me to be on here, man. So I appreciate it. Cool, thank you. You are cool. You're cool as shit. Um. And uh, and I'll see you around. And if you ever need anything, don't hesitate to text. I mean, you, you're a true gentleman, and uh, I'm glad to know people like you. No, nah, pleasure's all mine, man. Thanks a lot for the call. Enjoy. All it. right, brother. Take care. Good luck in March. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Good dudes are good dudes. Uh, someone's not kidding. Seven short text messages in a row yesterday. Rapid fire. Yeah, that's how I do it. Hey, Caleb, send. I like your cat scent. Oh my god, Caleb, that cat is so cool. What's he doing? <laughs> she's she yawning. His, um, uh, she had her head down like the Sphinx. Is she sitting? Yeah, she's sitting on that here. Is she mad dogging you? Yo, big time. What does she want? Attention. <laughs> she just sits here and just bothers me while I work. You make um uh, uh having a cat look like it's fun. I would love that. That looks like just great company. She's super chill. Like 
She's pretty pretty nice. She's basically like a dog. I hate a cat that you pet and then it wants to be pet like nonstop. Like you're like you regret ever touching it. She can be that way sometimes, but then she kind of like she knows her boundaries. She knows not to fuck around with the keyboard or the mouse and stuff like that. Uh, love the cat. Yeah, the cat's cool, right? I'm not even a cat person. That cat's dope. Makes me want a cat. Why is your face red? Were you in the sun? I don't know. No, I wasn't. Did you take a bunch of niacin or vitamin B? Are you a Scientologist? You know how yeah. They do th- yeah. Okay. You see it's red, right? Yeah, I do see it's red. I don't know why it's red. I've never seen it like that. It's weird. Uh, glad to see that the beaver is also rocking the WFH outfit, dressed on top and just underwear. <laughs> Waffle <bottom>. House. <laughs> I have shorts on. Come on. They're just short shorts. Sometimes referred to as underwear. <laughs> hey, um, tomorrow morning, like 4 or 5 a.m., I'm driving to Phoenix. It's like an 11-hour drive for me. Good I know, it's Lord. crazy. So I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen uh, today. I'm trying to get Darian Weeks on to do the UFC show today at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Oh, you, you're on the text thread. He did respond. Oh, he did? Yeah. Did he say anything? Uh, just basically, yeah. He said, that "I think we'll be good." Oh God, that scares me. I know. I don't like when he did that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so you're going to be on the road all day tomorrow? Oh, I just got some good news. Uh, so yeah. So, and then I'm going to be um on the road for 10 days. I'll, I'll, either way, I'll keep, I'll stay very close to you and Susan through text. I'll keep you posted. Sounds um, good. All right. We'll be around. So unfortunately we had to move uh, Ronnie Teasdale. We had to move raw, which really sucks. Cause I oh, really, yeah. I really wanted to hang out with him tomorrow. I'm looking really forward to that. Yeah. He's cool. He's easy, right? Super interesting, dude. All right. Um, my, my office smells like this. soap now, really? Yeah. The bomb soap from... Have you, have you used it yet? No. Actually, maybe I'll take one on the road with me. Darian is a good dude. He's dope, isn't he? I know. He's so dope. I really like Darian. I'm lucky I got to meet him. Uh, Caleb, did Sevon uh, give you the tracking number for the new microphone? No, no. I haven't sent him a new microphone yet. Good, that, Nice. That's passive-aggressive, Hector. <laughs> By the way, Hector, I've been watching your workout videos. You're killing it, dude. Congrats. Dude, that video he made yesterday? Really cool. You- yeah, you look that. strong too, dude. And That's you're dope. you're you're moving good. Congrats. Oh my goodness. Started reading Seafreed, Cancer is a metabolic disease. Oh my god, dude. Are you crazy, Jeff? I cannot that book is like way over my head. That is a hard book to read. But also you spent $149 on it, right? Unless you get it on Audible, I think. I think Audible is like eight bucks. But if you want really? like a hardcover, yeah, if you wanted a hardcover, it was like a hundred something dollars. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the ingredients are on this. I actually am in. Ta- I, I've been texting with Dale to find out what the ingredients are, and and he's like, "What ingredients are you afraid of?" I'm like, "I don't know. I just, just shit." My wife doesn't is like, my wife has just really come up against soap lately. Hmm. All right. Uh, love you guys. That was a great show. I really like that dude, Paul. I'd hang with that dude for sure. Super chill. Yep. Um, and, uh, I will, uh, see you guys tomorrow sometime. Maybe it's going to be a late night show tomorrow. I don't know what, how we're going to do it or, or maybe later today. I just got a text. 
And it says, hi, uh, Michael, you, I've just sent you an important email regarding your green card. Well, thank God I'm not Michael. <laughs> Did you hear it come in the text? Yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, every day um, PayPal or Amazon or Apple sends me a text now telling me that my account's been compromised. I'm like, go fuck yourself. All I these bet things. it has. Yeah, right. Thank you. Uh, pretty sure uh, Doc Spartan uses all natural ingredients. Okay. Um, Corey Leonard, Hector is on a journey we are all invested in, not just because he's one of us, because he's a human who is showing he's in control of his life. Booyah, Kasha. Word. All right, guys. Uh, see you guys soon. I don't want to leave because I feel like it's going to be like 24 hours until I see you guys again, but I got to. Uh, Hector, uh, Trinta, thanks for the support, guys. Crush it. Are the Hillers going to take over the show again? I, I guess I could do that. I guess I could ask Andrew to take it over. That would be cool. To do a show with uh, Caleb. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, where were you, Caleb, last time that they took over the show? Oh, it was probably some fucked up. It was at night. You were probably, it was like some weird time zone for you, right? Yeah, I think it was like 2 a.m. or something. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. 